Hello, and welcome to Box Office Banter, a podcast dedicated to informal chats about film, television, up-and-coming talent and the entertainment industry as a whole. I'm your host, Sam, joined by Danielle. Let's dive in. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Box Office Banter. It's been a, been a little while, but, you know, as we said in the previous recording, we are doing these when we can, and we are still thoroughly enjoying it. Um, you know, the, the lack of content isn't a necessarily indication that we're stopping. It's just we are no, busy, no. busy people. And it also, you know, we, we get into these ebbs and flows, don't we? We um, do. So we'll be there again. It's just right now this is where we're at. Um, but yeah. It happens. Hi. Hi, Sam. How are you, Danielle? I'm all right. I, I mean, I, I feel like it wouldn't be a box office banter episode if we didn't mention the weather. Yes. Um, it's a bit roasty toasty. It's a bit, it's a bit warm. Um, I am cooking. It is properly hot. It's about, well, I don't know what it is where you are, Samuel, but it's like 28, 29 degrees up here. It is, in the it is registering as 28 on my laptop yeah. as we record. So, so it, it's, you know, you might, you might think, well, that's just your standard summer weather. No, it's not. Not for us. We're not mm-hmm. built for it. Our homes aren't built for it. It's just not. We are born ideal. and raised in the dark and damp. That is <laughs> how British know. people work. It is, but alas, like here we are. Um, mm-hmm. And we've got we've got a good one for you today, haven't we? We do. We are returning triumphantly towards our MCU coverage, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, now this is this is I guess in in sort of news terms this is this is old hat this is ancient news but regardless we decided we still wanted to talk about it Absolutely. Uh, today we are talking ladies and gentlemen about thor love and thunder uh released on the 6th of july 2022 it is of course essentially thor 4 in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, following on from Thor Ragnarok. Uh, Taika Waititi has again returned to write and direct, uh, and I am looking at its current box office, and it's sitting at just over $700 million. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to, whilst I kick it over to you for surface-level thoughts, because we might as well just dive right in. Um, I'm going to check the box office for Ragnarok as well. Oh, 854 for Ragnarok. So, well, kind of in in the same ballpark. I mean, obviously that is 150 million less. Wow. But then we are taking into consideration that you know theaters aren't necessarily fully back up and running in every place around the world and obviously there are a number of countries where love and thunder isn't getting a release at all including china um so that's a massive market that it's missing out on um so that probably contributes towards the the box office takings but yes danielle what what do you think on on surface level before we get into the details what do you think of love and thunder um i'm gonna be straight up with you samuel i loved it Mm-hmm. I did. Um, is it a cinematic masterpiece? Absolutely not. Um, I, I just, I just enjoyed it from start to finish. It's not. So I heard someone say, or I saw, read someone say that it's not an action with comedy. It's a comedy with action. Mm-hmm. And maybe I would slightly agree with that. Um, not to say that it doesn't work because it does for me it works for a lot of people I don't think it did Uh, which surprises me because I feel like this was what we needed I guess a little bit not that everything is necessarily dark and and twisted in the MCU at the moment not twisted you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. sometimes in the MCU you just need a little break from the heavy stuff Um, a palate cleanser absolutely absolutely and I think this this kind of does that um, in in a good way. I think it's it's one of the funnier, more witty MCU movies I've I've seen anyway, um, and I really enjoy it. And it stands out for me. I don't think it's the best Thor film. I think that would still be Ragnarok for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what about you, Sam? Out of the four Thors, which one would you say kind of stands on a pedestal for you? 
it's really interesting that question because i i back and forth a lot since having seen this film i saw it twice in cinemas um and i if i'm being honest with myself i and this isn't recency bias or anything like that i i i genuinely probably would say that love and thunder is my favorite um and obviously that is sacrilege to a lot of people because Ragnarok is again like sort of like you said on this pedestal of yeah. being miles above the other two Thor films although again I've said it and I will say it again I think the first Thor is a very very underrated film um, but yeah Ragnarok obviously was a huge upswing for the character um, practically saved him from being killed off I think mm -hmm. um, I, I almost guarantee if Ragnarok didn't happen uh, Thor probably wouldn't still be around um, but yeah I I I think L Love and Thunder is the best Thor film but I also think it's the most inconsistent mm -hmm. um, you know at least even Dark World for as underwhelming as that film was it knew exactly what it wanted to be and it, it just stuck to it mm -hmm. even if that was quite two-dimensional um god bless christopher eccleson you know <laughs> done dirty uh but i think love and thunder like i i will readily admit that i think ragnarok is by a long shot funnier than love and thunder interesting um i, I think that love and thunder tries to tries too hard not necessarily tries too hard but i think it's just that there's a tonal divergence with love and thunder where ragnarok was this complete 180 and love and thunder to me and it's the reason that i love it so much is that it kind of feels like taika watiti finding a middle ground where if you look at ragnarok and then look at love and thunder i think that the the actual story of Love and Thunder is miles ahead of Ragnarok's because um, Ragnarok is a great film but it's mainly hinged on the comedy and the plot is quite bare bones realistically if you sort of pick it apart um, but to me Love and Thunder has a really interesting plot that is kind of held back a bit by their not necessarily insistence but understandable desire to still have the zaniness of Ragnarok um, and I don't think that it necessarily worked I, that's not to say I didn't laugh at Love and Thunder because I did a lot um, but it kind of there were a lot of jokes that either went on too long or you know I could almost see the punchline coming before it happened and it, I didn't I didn't chuckle there were a few cringeworthy ones but I think, you know, it's a testament for me to say that in spite of that, I still think that this is the best of Thor that we've seen. Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. I think you make, a, you make some compelling points there, Samuel. I, f I personally found the humour in Love and Thunder to be a little bit forced like mm -hmm. a little bit and yeah. my partner who I watched it with pointed that out at the end of the movie kind of mentioned that you know it just felt a bit inorganic a bit now you laugh here you know and some yes. of the jokes did, yes. did kind of fall a little bit flat um, or even at, at some points waited for laughter which I think is mm -hmm. really interesting because we don't see that too much in movies you see it loads in theater you know obviously yeah. pause for a laugh you don't want to continue the dialogue while the audience is still making noises whatever um but there was kind of like a theatricality to it um which i found interesting because i, d I do find thor to be a very theatrical character in the mcu um mm -hmm. personally i do anyway yeah. um you know he, he, he's been on a massive journey since the beginning of his story with the MCU at least yeah. anyway um, and he's lost so much and he's gained so much at the same time um, 
But I, do you think this will be the last Thor movie, Sam? It is, no. isn't it? No, you don't think so? <gasps> no, no, no. Oh, my God. No, I, I, I think... Really? I think that, you know, with the post credit scenes for this film, there is a very clear direction that I think that they're going to head. Um, and it's weird, like, I think, and we're kind of getting into spoilers now for people listening, so if you don't want to have anything spoiled, bail now. You can come back once you've seen it. We would probably recommend that you watch it. Um, when... And this is going to get a little bit long in the tooth, but stick with me because there is a point to it. Um, obviously, Marvel do these like panels, you know, where they reveal their upcoming slates. They, they've done one recently for Phase Five and Phase Six. Um, they did one for Phase Four back in 2019, uh, and then Phase Three was 2014, 15 ish. I want to say, um, and at the Phase Three announcement. Uh, when they did the slate Thor Ragnarok was announced but it was very heavily um, toned and and styled to look like the first two Thor films where Ragnarok was displayed in like this magma molten lava it was dark and it was foggy and there was rubble everywhere Um, and we were like oh okay yeah that's interesting I suppose Ragnarok is, is a cool concept um, you know, the end of Asgard and everything coming down and whatnot. And obviously they, they did keep to Thor Ragnarok, but that wasn't at all the tone of the film that we ended up getting. I think that the theoretical next Thor film after Love and Thunder will not necessarily do the same thing, because obviously they can't do Ragnarok again, um, concept-wise. Uh, but I think that that's the tone that they are going to be heading towards. And I think that that will be the last Thor film, or at least, you know, Thor with Chris Hemsworth. Um, As we know it at the moment, I suppose. Yeah, I, th- I think Thor, kind of as it's alluded to in this film, much like Black Panther or Captain America or Iron Man, they are mantles that can be passed down. Obviously, you know, his name is Thor, but I think that, you know, whoever holds the power of Thor, we see multiple people wield the power of Thor in this film. So it's sort of, I think they are laying seeds for the idea that, yes, we're kind of heading towards the sunset of Chris Hemsworth's run as the character. Um, and I think I'm fine with that. Like, Ragnarok was great. It saved it. Love and Thunder carried that on and gave us a really heartfelt, powerful story. Um, and then this final film which again i'm hoping to be you know darker again still can have the levity but like be this is kind of like a 90 degree shift love and thunder where it's again like i said finding that middle ground between thor of old and you know real heartfelt emotional storytelling that most mcu films do quite well and the zaniness of ragnarok i think we're gonna pivot back even further um and get something, you know, riveting and, and I hesitate to say scary, but, you know, um, thrilling, that kind of thing. That's what we were missing from this movie. There was no thrill, really. Mm-hmm. Was there? I don't think so. No. Not, not, not like, well, never like Infinity War or Endgame level thrill. I don't think we've seen that since those movies. Personally, mm-hmm. I don't think we have. Um, and I think that's what people crave from the MCU. Well, I don't know. I know nothing, so don't listen to. <laughs> yes, what you do. I don't say. put yourself down, Danielle. <laughs> but I don't know what public opinion is. You know, especially within the MCU fandom or whatever. Like, I don't know if people do want that, but I would assume that a lot of really hardcore superhero action film fans. If they all fall under that one umbrella, you know, they'd kind of be craving that. And I, I think if that's what I was more invested in than anything else, then that'd totally be the angle I'd take with this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I have never been a fan of Valkyrie. I wanted to yeah. mention this, and I completely fell in love with her in this movie. So, well done, Taika. You did the impossible. You just need to make me love Gamora now. Um... <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen, personally. But 
I really enjoyed Valkyrie in this movie. I thought she played a good part. She wasn't integral or anything like that. Not really. It's interesting. Um, what, what did you think about Valkyrie and, and her role within this movie? I don't think she got that much to do, um, which is a shame because prior to this film's release, there was, you know, a lot of buzz around her character. Um, I think I even spoke to you on a number of occasions about it before Love and Thunder came out of, you know, even when this film was first announced at the Phase 4 panel, they were like, Val- uh, Tessa Thompson said, well, you know, my first job as, as new king of Asgard is to find my queen. And it's like, oh, okay, that's that's a statement. You're, you're you know, you're throwing the gauntlet down. Um, and we didn't get that in this film. You know, we didn't even get really any indication of her her sexuality or her orientation or um, a potential love interest. And not, you know, not that we need that. That, that isn't something that is actively pivotal to her character developing or to, to, to people liking her character but that's something for me and not so want to wanting to speak for you as well but coming off of Ragnarok where she was intentionally sort of abrasive as a character but by that nature I just didn't relate to her or warm to her at yeah. all um I think that kind of angle to her where, you know, she is still obviously grieving for her Valkyrie sisters that she lost. And it's implied very subtly that she was romantically interested in, in at least one of them. Right. Um, So she's dealing with that loss, but she's obviously in Ragnarok was, was chasing that with alcoholism and um, she's sort of shaking that off now. But, it would add some three-dimensionality to her character, I think, of finding love again, especially in this film that is so centrally focused on the concept of love. I think it's a real missed opportunity to not even introduce the idea of her having a love interest. Um, I'm sure it's coming, like, at some point. I, I can't it imagine feels that like that it is. is. It feels like we could be on the cusp of something going on there, does it not? That's how I felt. <sighs> maybe I mean like the only thing that we see is when they're in um, Omnipotent City she kisses the hand of one of the um, maidens of Zeus uh, just before, before they leave but that that's sort of it um, like I, I just it's kind of weird that either Tessa either that was the plan and they scrapped it because they you know, were apprehensive about putting LGBTQIA plus stuff in the film, which obviously doesn't really matter anyway because no. they don't have it that much in this film at all and it's still banned in those countries, so who gives? Um, but it's weird that they would make that kind of a statement about it um, and, and not follow through. Because again, like, again, I, I'm sure it is coming and I'm, I can't wait for the day that it does come but it's weird that a film literally with love in the title and is about you know uh thor dealing with his his lost love and um yeah. christian bale's character dealing with his lost love uh it's 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 weird to me that she is like the one character that doesn't have anything like that um, and that sort of sidelines her as a character even more. Now, admittedly, I will agree with you that I did like her character more in this, but I think that it's less—it's because she was less abrasive and more sort of chummy, poking fun at Thor. Um, right, rather than her own sort of development and... Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I would I have preferred more development of her character? Absolutely. Um, but I'm okay with what they gave her. It's just disappointing that there wasn't more of it. I agree. <laughs> I can see why some people would have felt that was a bit queer baity as well. Um, because they took it so far and never really committed. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tough one. It's it's not really something I can comment on. I don't think because it's not my place to. But. I can imagine how it would feel like that and that's kind of disappointing uh, there was room for that I would say mm-hmm. was there not? 
even again, even if it was, I mean, obviously, um, you know, this is this could potentially be a huge spoiler for a film years down the line. But the whole sort of um, what's it called OTP thing that's been going on in the fan community for years now has been Valkyrie and Captain Marvel. Um, you know, and and both Brie, both Brie Larson and Tessa Thompson have actively shared fan art of them as a couple so it's like oh my God. okay so not only are you acknowledging it but you're both encouraging it you know and that's the kind of thing that does typically get wheels turning on these kind of things um and you know to to be fair to, to marvel it's nowhere near where it should be but we are continuing to see better representation in all areas um within the mcu and that is going to progress you know uh if we want to touch on it here like there's been announcements that a um i can't remember her name for the life of me but a drag queen from uh one of the rupaul series i think was cast in the ironheart show as well as a transgender um actor so it's like those those things are coming and there are LGBTQ characters in the MCU already, of course. Um, you know, people like America Chavez, she has two mothers, those kind of things. So it's it's small and incremental, which is unfortunate, but at least they are making steps. And despite it being banned in multiple countries and practically every phase four film not seeing the light of day in many of those countries, oh they aren't backing down. They're, they're, they're st- sticking to their guns on that front. So there is Fair some enough. commendation there at the very least. Why should they have to back down? When, when if a story is meant to be told in a way, then tell it in that way and, and be true to that. And I think that's great. I have a lot of respect for that, even if it does mean not being able to open in cer- certain markets and things like that. So, well, I mean that's it, you know, because it, it's not necessarily disheartening, but it's weird to think about as a as sort of like a, a really big fan of this that's really you know emotionally invested in the mcu it's it's weird to think that at the end of the day it is still being run by a corporation that wants to that's solitary goal is to make money above all else yeah so the fact that they are willing to forego the arguably additional hundreds of millions of dollars in uh, box office takings for each of these films to allow some of these stories to to be seen on the big screen it, 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 like you say, Absolutely. it is. You do have to praise them for it, even if the representation isn't quite at the level we want it to be yet. But like you say, it's it's seeds, you know. Yes. Planted seeds. We've just got to wait and see mm-hmm. what happens with it. I'm. But yeah. Okay. So we see the return of um, Jane, Jane Foster. In this we do. Movie. Sorry, that was a very cringy way of saying that. We see the return. Of Jane, of Jane um, Natalie, Natalie Portman. Uh, what did we think? I was a bit apprehensive. I'm not going to lie, but I was pleasantly surprised. What about you, Sam? Um, I I had faith. You know, I I don't necessarily. It's weird. Like Natalie Portman is so yo-yo-y to me, where she can do really excellent work but also really terrible stuff. Yeah. Um, like, you know, Black Swan and Annihilation, those kind of films are like, you know, nigh on perfection to me. They are excellent. She is wonderful in them. But then, you know, she she can miss. I mean, obviously there was the Star Wars prequels, which is a whole other thing. Um, and whilst I don't necessarily think that she is well fit for the the style of humor in this film mm-hmm. i still think that her portrayal of jane and how she handled the the arc that the character has um was really really well done and probably one of my favorite parts of the film um you know like all, all of the coming up with a catchphrase thing that that was cringy to me i didn't yeah. like it i think her um her, her her line reads on pretty much everything there was 
off by a considerable margin. <laughs> but again, in spite of that, I am so happy that she came back, that she was willing to do some of that weird stuff in order for us to get, you know, really the 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 neat little bow on Jane that we might never have gotten otherwise. What, what about you? How did how did you feel? Um, I mean, you said you were apprehensive, but yeah, because I wasn't really expecting to see her again. <laughs> I kind of mm-hmm. made my peace with that, and I've never been the biggest, biggest, biggest ever fan of Jane. Um, I enjoyed yeah. her in the earlier stuff. Obviously, like the the original Thor movie, that was probably when mm-hmm. I enjoyed her the most. Um, so yeah, just a little bit like, oh, where's this gonna go? What's that gonna do? and um, it worked for me it did I, I hear what you're saying some parts were a bit iffy um, but I think overall like the last scene with her had me in tears of course it did yeah. it's, it's very heartwarming but also like if really interesting because I feel like if that last scene would have happened at the beginning of the movie it wouldn't have added anything out of me I would have just been like alright okay mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it, it really, the whole arc just really grew on me throughout the movie. And it's sad, isn't it? It's really yeah. sad and, and kind of experiencing what their love was because we saw a lot of what we didn't see, right? Sorry, mm-hmm. that doesn't make a lot of sense. But a lot of Thor and Jane's relationship that we didn't see too, too much of gets explained and, and well, not even explained, but we just get a bit more context, don't we? Yeah. Um, which is nice. Um, but yeah, no, I thought she 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 looked amazing in that um, Mighty Thor costume. If I do say so mm-hmm. myself, very mm-hmm. nice. She was a good addition, um, and I kind of hoped I was gonna see it again. But I don't I don't think we will, will we? Because where she went well. to Valhalla at the end, didn't she? Um. See, this is where it gets difficult because, um, hmm, I'm trying to ask you a question without revealing something. Um, (laughs) How concerned are you about me potentially telling you something that would give you an indication of something one way or the other. No, do it. Regarding Jane, obviously. Do it. Okay. <clears throat> um, well, for, for for people who don't know, uh, this film is very heavily adapting uh, Jason Aaron's run um, of The Mighty Thor, which is probably one of the most famous Thor comics of the past couple of decades. Um, it was obviously where Jane Foster was introduced as the Mighty Thor, um, and it was about her undergoing cancer treatment at the same time. And every time that she wielded Mjolnir, obviously she got stronger, but at the same time it kind of reset her chemo. So she was n- getting stronger, but also weaker at the same time. And it was that thing of the longer she stays as the Mighty Thor, the more good she can do, but the weaker she gets and the more likely she is to, to ultimately die. Um, <clears throat> at the end of this run Jane does indeed die um, obviously not at all like the circumstances we saw in, in Love and Thunder um, very different circumstances but that was not the end of her um, let's put it this way the fact that there is a post credit scene of Jane Foster in Valhalla is less a cherry on top of the bow that's wrapping up Jane's story and more a seed being planted for maybe something in the future. Um, the, the, put it, I'll put it this way, which is kind of vague, but also not if you think about it. There are a number of different planes of existence that we've seen quite recently in the MCU obviously we've seen 
um, the Duat in Moon Knight, the Egyptian sort of afterlife. Um, obviously, we have the ancestral plane in Wakanda. Uh, we have Valhalla now. And then we have things like the Quantum Realm and, and things like that. Characters can traverse in and out of those realms, right? So it would maybe be safe to assume that Valhalla also is not exempt from that kind of thing. Ah, interesting. It was nice to see Hamdel again. I can't lie. It was. Or might he? Um, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, there isn't there isn't any precedence for that necessarily. Um, unlike Jane, um, but I, I again I think that. The reason that that post-credit scene is there obviously is mainly for Jane to to set things up, but I think okay. the fact that Heimdall is there is also not a coincidence. I, I can only imagine that they know that they have kind of not done Idris Elba dirty, but not really given him all that much to do. <laughs> he had so, so much left to do. I know, I know, so much potential in the character, especially because we're introduced to his son in this film. Which is lovely. You know, I think that um, there is. He's ripe for the picking for, for new uh, new story stuff, I think. So bring them both back. Why not? Why not? I'm here for it. And I was grateful for that little post-cred, to be fair. Mm-hmm. If not for Jane, for Heimdall himself. Um, let's talk about Christian Bale's character. Yes. What's his name? Gore. Gore the God Butcher. Gore. Now, I, I had no idea of this Gore before. Um, mm mm-hmm. Is there any background on him in the MCU? He's he's um, described as an inter- by a, gal- a galactic killer, Gore the yes. God Butcher. Um, so, what is prior knowledge in the MCU, or is this literally the first we're seeing of this? Yeah, God there, there there's been no no indication of of Gore um, in the MCU thus far prior to this film. So, there's no you know, hints or Easter eggs hinting that he's coming or anything like that. Um, Because obviously we see at the beginning of this film sort of his introduction, um, how he becomes the God Butcher before before he did turn evil, or not necessarily turn evil, but got corrupted. Um, he, He was just this regular being that worshipped somebody, you know, was sort of like a, di- a monk, essentially. Yeah. Um, you know, like a, a devout follower of this specific religion. And then he sort of lost his faith um, after losing his daughter. So, yeah, we're, this is this is how we are introduced to him. And uh, it seems he's a one and done. Damn it, Marvel. Why do you keep doing it? I hate that. I hate it. Stop it. Um, yeah. My boyfriend brought up a really good point that I didn't think about. Mm-hmm. And he'll be listening to this, so I'll be proud that I've uh, given him a little shout out. But, shout out. Uh, basically, he had, the issue he had with it was that mm-hmm. it was this sword that was possessing Gore and making him evil. He wasn't evil at his core wasn't an evil person it was the doings of an inanimate object um which i think is a really interesting point because how far can a villain in the mcu go if it's just their their weapons that make them strong and not the essence of them or having any powers you know do you know what i mean i say powers you Mm -hmm. know what i mean don't you um yeah strengths abilities whatever makes them an avenger or a superhero or whatever um, and I thought that was that was interesting and worth mentioning, really. W- what do you think about that? Um, I quite enjoyed Gore as a villain, but again, like you say, it's a one and done. There's no potential uh, for that villain to go any further. It's, it's kind of resolved by the end of the movie. Hit me with it, Samuel. This is probably the one bit of the film that I'm most torn on. Um, I, I think Christian Bale does a great job. Like, he's riveting in all of his scenes like you know super engaging um steals a lot of his scenes for for better or worse um but gore 
kind of like going back to what you were saying earlier about there not really being any thrills in this film Gaunt never exuded like a real threatening aura no because so many of his scenes were him still being sinister and stuff but at the same time cracking jokes um and obviously that's sort of you to be expected i guess with a, a taika watiti film um because that is a consistent theme throughout all of his films mcu or not but yeah there wasn't really the gravitas that i was potentially looking for or expecting particularly with somebody like bale in the role um like Who's again kind of by the way yeah, exactly. Like kind of like what I said with Natalie Portman. I'm so glad that Bale agreed to do this, and you know he went for it, um, oh, yeah. and and the film is all the better for it. But I I do think that you know Bale is also very good if you look at American Psycho or something like that at being this character that can kind of tread both sides of the fence mm-hmm. of being very dark sinister threatening but at the same time like morbidly hilarious um and i just i don't think he ever really reached either like he wasn't super goofy and hilarious but at the same time he wasn't intimidating really um it was more just everybody in the film saying that he was intimidating that i had to believe rather than me really seeing it um like it's weird that we never for all the montages in this film it's weird that we didn't get a montage of him going around slaying different gods which is such a like what's it called a cop-out it's such a cop-out how amazing yeah. would that have been uh-huh i i it i i don't quite understand why because in this film from what we see he doesn't earn the god butcher name we just have to take it at face value we don't see any evidence of it because other than the god that he kills at the start in his introductory scene that that's it that that's the only god he kills on screen we see what's her face what's her name what's her name sif lady sif yes you know injured and that but we don't see after 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 a big fight next to this massive corpse of a god it's like well why didn't we see even just a little bit of that fight um it's 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 bizarre it's weird it's a missed opportunity again um on your point of the like the weapon being the corrupting thing i actually quite like that as a concept um but only if it's capitalized on well and i don't think that marvel have done that um because i think if if we're speaking just concept on a conceptual level here we are talking about a religious zealot who lost his faith because his daughter passed away and therefore believed all the gods were selfish and vile and cruel and therefore wanted to punish them all and happened upon a weapon that would allow him to exact his righteous vengeance that is an excellent concept in my head but that's not really the crux of what gore's character is in this film he is a religious man at the start and then he gets a weapon and then he's just a bad man we we don't have any scenes of gore yeah there's no sign of inner turmoil of that religious good-hearted man still inside of him somewhere trying to fight against the sword's control and i think that would have been even just a small scene of him you know looking at the kids in the cage and he sort of kind of shakes his head and he's like oh shaking himself out of it he's like what am i doing and then the sword you know it, it would play goofy but that works in a film like this where he is almost having a conversation with this sword because you know Thor is talking to both Mjolnir and Stormbreaker, aka inanimate objects in this film. So again, why wouldn't you have Bale talking to the sword, trying to be like, please let me go, this isn't who I want to be. Um, and the sword is like, no, this is who you really don't want to be, you just you just don't want to admit it. 
something like that would have gone such a long way um, in not only solidifying his um, his character's intention and goal within the film, but also just character development and fleshing him out. Yeah. And yeah, I would have yeah. been so much more conflicted in any scenes following that scene. I've been like, but no, you can't kill him because he is still a good guy in there. You just need to get rid of the swords. Um, yeah, it, it's it's bizarre because again, we kind of had the same issue recently with Wanda and the Darkhold, where the logic is is that Wanda is still a good woman. She just wants to be with her family, but it's the Darkhold that is corrupting her and making her kill these people and do these horrific things, and that didn't work well in Multiverse of Madness for the exact same reason because we didn't have scenes of the Wanda inside fighting against the compelling force that is the Darkhold's power and that again a small scene for Wanda would have done the exact same for what it would have done for Gore in this film I think yeah no that is that is a point that got brought up between him and I just the the lack of evolution between good and evil like it literally happened in the space of two minutes um, mm-hmm. and then that doesn't happen usually in the MCU I don't think so a lot of the villains have a really good reason to be evil and I'm not saying that he didn't he obviously did I thought it was quite traumatic that scene with his daughter it was awful yeah um, so you know he had good reason to but it just it felt very rushed it felt very and you know what I never thought because one of the biggest points in the movie, he um, abducts a bunch of children from New Asgard, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. And keeps them. Um, I never thought he was going to hurt them, ever, for one second. And he didn't, did he, really? No. So, it, there were no stakes there, I don't think. Not to say I didn't enjoy him, because I did. I just, like you just said, would have preferred a fleshier, more well-rounded, three-dimensional villain that could have maybe withstood, withheld a bit more time. Mm-hmm. Withheld, that's not the right word. Withstood a bit more yeah. time, I suppose. Um, but, you know, I think the other thing with this movie as well is that you just can't take it too seriously. There's, there's an element of suspension of disbelief with every single MCU movie, and I think this is no exception, but in a different way. I think yeah. you've just got to take it as it is. It's a bit of light-hearted MCU, big-budget stuff. I'm here for it. I enjoy it. It's got rewatchability, whereas mm-hmm. I think Eternals, on the other hand, does not. You know, okay. for me personally, yeah, I would much rather watch this than Eternals, and you could argue that way more happens in Eternals. Um, so, yeah... I mean, for God's sake, you've got Russell Crowe playing Zeus, haven't you? With the most ridiculous... Absolute standout. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. it... I cannot believe he went He, he went for it as much <laughs> as he hard. did. <laughs> the Greek accent and everything, literally. The, the skirt, holding Love it up it. as he goes down the steps, like spinning the lightning bolt around him. It's just... The most casting It's so I've good. Seen, but I loved it's it. It's great. Absolutely. Well done, Russell Crowe. You, you and again, you know, with the, with the post-credit, we get an indication that we're going to see more of him. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Insane. How did he not die from that, can I ask? That, that, how, how is he not dead? He should have died. <sighs> I, I, again, I, he is I don't Zeus, know. isn't he? Yeah, he is like the god of all gods, so yeah. I guess, like, maybe he can. I mean, he was being like stitched up I think but there must be some kind of healing ability that gods have um, I would have thought yeah I, I guess it's kind of like you know um, Jane not that she was a god but wielding Mjolnir you know like it it um, made her strong again it, it got rid of the cancer while she was wielding it that kind of thing so maybe there is like kind of a precedent yeah maybe maybe Interesting. I'd like to know the logic behind that personally, but I think it's it's good. I think it's very good. Um, I liked that scene. I thought it was fun. 
Um, mm-hmm. What else? Is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Um, well, it's cool to see Hercules. That, that's that's nice that was again cool. from the, the post credit scene. Um, that will be a good showdown in the next Thor film, I would imagine. Um, uh, uh, I just sorry, go on. Yeah. I just had a question. What did you think about them kind of giving personalities to Mjolnir and the Hammer? What, what's the other one called? Stormbreaker. Stormbreaker. What did you think about that? Because that was like a running joke throughout the movie as well, which seemed a bit adolescent to me. I don't know. I I, I liked it. I, I that was one of the few things comedy wise that that consistently Wait, worked yeah. for me um even if like it you could telegraph it a lot like I knew that at certain <laughs> points the camera was lingering so I knew that Stormbreaker would just float in from the side you know yeah. but it still got me um one for the kind of it's kind of getting into the comic booky stuff but technically Mjolnir is sort of meant to be in some canons kind of sentient Um, not necessarily capable of acting on itself or speaking or anything but it's kind of like where you have just this inherent kind of telepathic link where you know Thor could throw it and he wouldn't necessarily have to make it to do something but Thor would know what it he wanted Mjolnir to do and Mjolnir would know what Thor wanted it to do if that makes sense yeah yeah um so there's kind of a precedent for it in the comics and and uh to be fair Jane Foster as Mighty Thor had that link even stronger um with Mjolnir so I didn't mind it and I thought that it like it it sounds stupid to say but like it made sense that if you're talking about long lost flames and long lost loves and and longing to be with somebody even though you're with somebody else now the the it just it worked it like it translated from the the love and the sort of gap that's between Jane and Thor and the longing for Thor to have Mjolnir back but now having Stormbreaker and yeah i i, I it worked for me it didn't not work for me sorry I found it to be kind of more on the more immature side of, of the comedy, but again, it's that whole thing of you can't take this movie too seriously. It's just a laugh with yeah. with a lot of heart, and it does have a lot of heart in it, I think, mm-hmm. personally. Um, but yeah, I, I can see why some people might not be such a fan of that. Um, what about Koig making a comeback? Yes. I was very happy cool to see him. Back. Um, thank God he didn't die. I thought he were dead for a second. Did you? Hmm. No. There was like a split second when it first happened and he started crumbling where I was like, oh, okay, interesting. But the like, not that we thought he was dead for long because it's very quickly made aware that he's not, in fact, gone. Um, he's just a face. Um, <laughs> but like the way that the scene played out between him getting hit and starting to fall apart to when we find out that he's not it wasn't there wasn't like super dramatic music playing or anything or none of the characters were absolutely devastated and you know there could be an argument made that would that happen in that in those circumstances but i think that Korg is like a fan favorite character so they would make more of a, a deal of it if it was actually him dying um, so I very quickly was like, nah, there's going to be some way that he comes back. Whether I almost thought they were going to do like a baby group yeah, type situation yeah, yeah. where Thor just picks up one of the pebbles and then suddenly later on in the film, it's got like eyes and a mouth, you know what I mean? And tiny little legs and it's running around like a little pebble. Um, that isn't what they did. I, I honestly probably would have preferred that um, than just the face, like the face was funny for like a couple of seconds but it the novelty wore off quite quickly right did i dream this or was there a scene where he explains that when two coigs hold hands they create a baby yes they they have to 
they have to hold hands over a magma pool. <laughs> and then, then a little baby Korg is made. That's so cute. I love it. But And obviously genuinely... he does do that at the end of the film. He does. With, uh, with Doug. He does. I'm really cute. Loved that. I, 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 can you see why I thought that was a dream, though? <laughs> you could probably look at <laughs> many moments in this film and think, was that a dream? I mean, the goats. Chris Hemsworth. Oh, the goats. Oh, stop. I love them goats. That was, one of the, that was one of the things that was funny to begin with, then stopped then being old. funny. <laughs> but then when they went to the desaturated planet and it looked like it was quite still quite far away, but then they crash into it and then there's the split second and then the goats scream again. It's like it wasn't funny and then it suddenly turned back round to being funny again. <laughs> They're really cute. I like them a lot. Um... I think well I mean Chris Hemsworth having his bum out in front of Russell Crowe playing Zeus mm-hmm. yeah I mean that feels like a fever dream and all to be honest mm. but yes. here for it sign me up I like it um, it was nice to see the um, Guardians of the Galaxy for a little bit at the beginning for the a short lo- short lived as it was yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting what did you think to that I, I was kind of expecting it to be brief, um, you know. I this, I mean, this is going quite a while back, but I kind of expected this to be the exact same as uh, Doctor Strange was for Thor Ragnarok, okay. where at the in the post-credit scene of the first Doctor Strange, we saw the scene from Ragnarok where Thor is sat down and, you know, he has the beer that keeps refilling. And at the end of that scene, Doctor Strange is like, great, allow me to help you find Odin. And everybody was like, oh my God, Doctor Strange is going to be a full-on supporting character in Ragnarok. And obviously, Doctor Strange was in it for five minutes and that was it. And that's essentially what we got here, where at the end of Endgame, it's suggested that, you know, oh my God, you know, Thor is going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy 3 and the Guardians are going to be in Love and Thunder. Which, that might still both technically be true. I can't. I could very well easily see Thor showing up in Volume 3 at some point, um, even very briefly. But no, I wasn't expecting more from them. That doesn't mean I didn't want more, because what we got was good. Um, but yeah, like, I'm, I, I'm glad that they are holding off and that they're preserving they're going to satiate my hunger with volume three when that comes rather than giving me a bit too much guardians now and not giving enough time to thor and his characters you know absolutely it's not their movie is it that coming later so no i agree with that it was nice to see them for a minute brief as it was um but see you later not your show we'll see you next time um Uh uh-huh yes very good. Uh, do you have any final thoughts on Thor, Love and Thunder, Samuel? Two two things. Hit me. Um, one, I think Marvel is, and I, you know, I will support them regardless of what they do. Um, well, of course. But I think that they are st- stepping a little bit dangerously close to um, overcomplicating the hierarchy of the MCU. Because this film, obviously, with Omnipotent City, we have tons of weird gods from various religions and stuff, which is all fine. That's comprehensible. We've had Asgard for ages. Um, we can we can assume that there are gods from other you know cultures and mythologies around the world. That's what we see. Um, you know, we see a version of the the dragon from Shang Chi in Omnipotent City, not the same one, obviously, because the one in this film is golden i think um but we it didn't turn out to be anything but i remember sharing the um pre-release images with you and we saw like the the panther goddess Mm -hmm. and we're like oh is that is that bast from the wakanda culture oh that's interesting um didn't get anything that doesn't mean that that isn't who that is um but then you know on top of that we then have celestials from eternals but then we now have 
beings like Eternity um, and the Watcher from What If? And it's sort of, okay, so wait, so the gods are meant to be all-powerful and all-knowing and control different civilizations or cultures or worlds, but then the celestials are controlling what, like, solar systems and galaxies yeah. and stuff but okay so what 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 exact role is it does eternity have what is do you know what i mean yeah, yeah. They, they are it's it's very strange even like the eternals themselves are kind of in there somewhere where there's this layeredness to it now and i don't think they've quite clarified exactly why the hierarchy is in any particular order and what the differentiation between those levels are. Um, I'm sure that that, again, will come in time. It's something that we always allow the MCU, you know, space to explain itself. But I think it is strange that when we are introduced to new concepts and new power levels, like a character like Eternity, I... I'm struggling to place that kind of character in amongst all the other characters in the in the MCU. Not that I think Eternity is going to become a mainstay in the MCU, but it is a known entity yeah. now. Yeah. So interesting. What yeah, to think I think about that needs then? clarification. <laughs> um, haven't really thought about that. <clears throat> and one other thing. Love. Love. It's uh, it's worth bringing up. Gore's daughter. Um, oh, yeah. You know, obviously, she dies in the end. Uh, in, at the beginning, she's the inciting incident for him becoming, <clears throat> for Gore becoming evil. Um, or vengeful, I should say. The sword corrupts him. <clears throat> but, uh, yes, eternity, you know, Thor convinces gore to to not kill all the gods in the universe and instead uh gore's one wish to eternity is is to have his daughter back and gore dies and jane says you know in in her dying words to to keep for thor to keep his heart open and he thor then promises gore to to look after love um and they they become a little duo thor is now a dad Daddy Thor, as, as which again Warwick. is it's it's so it's so good, like the the one thing that I can appreciate with everything, you know, from Ragnarok onwards, is that you know before Ragnarok came out, we thought that we'd seen everything that Thor could do. You know, Thor was relatively one note, um, relatively two dimensional. That there wasn't much to his character. He was good at doing what he did, but he just didn't do a lot. Then Ragnarok came out and took everybody by surprise. And we were like, okay, well, yeah, this is great. More of this, please. But there's no way that they can switch it up again. And then we got, you know, um, colloquially known Fat Thor in Endgame, you know. And that was something that nobody expected. And it gave a new dimension to the character of dealing with depression and whether he's still worthy. So to now go to this and have him dealing with the trauma of losing the love of his life, getting her back and then losing her again, um, all the while getting Mjolnir back and also now becoming like a, a stepfather, essentially. Like, it, I cannot wait to see the theoretical Thor 5 where he is this dad that is still ultimately at the end of the day crippled by sadness and loss but he now has this conduit that he can pour his goodness into um i just think it's great like we're having all of these young child actors being brought in recently within phase four to set up young avengers and and just in general to have a younger skew to to the character base but it's such a good move to, to have that as a crux for his character moving forward, I think. I'm excited to see it as well. I think some people classically not like it and think it's silly and think it's a stupid way to go down, but I, I'm excited mm-hmm. to see, like you said, he's ever evolving. He's not just this god, he's many different things, he's a lover, 
there's someone who's struggled and lost a lot of stuff so yeah here for it um samuel can you give it a score out of 10 please um i think it's like the most solid 8 out of 10 i've probably ever given very nice very nice what about you Oh, it's a 9.5 for me. I loved Ooh, it. Ooh, wow. Yeah, very high for me. Well, not not for me. I'm, I'm very generous with my um, with my scoring, this we know. But, yeah, I really enjoyed it. For me, it's the rewatchability about it that really does it. Um, That's fair, yeah. And I, I think it's, yeah. I enjoy it, and I don't think it deserves what it got on Rotten Tomatoes, by the way, which is, I think it's like, yeah, 65. What? Mm-hmm. It deserves way more than that, I think, personally. Um, this has been a grand old chat, Samuel. Yes. It has. Um, been very nice. Great. I, lo- I love it when we get to do this. And, and like you said at the beginning, we are still here. We still care. We still want to do it. It's just life, isn't it? Um, it is. It's not 2021 or 2020 lockdowns anymore. Um, <laughs> so, But I'm sure we'll be back again soon with another cracking episode won't we and um thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time take care see you later bye